Please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. I would like to continue a sermon that I preached a few weeks ago entitled Rights, Responsibilities, Privileges, and Opportunities, emphasizing the first two words of that title, Rights and Responsibilities. The Lord wants us to have character that is after His own heart. He wants us to think, speak, and do what He would think, speak, and do in the situations that we face in life. The Bible, if you were to read it from cover to cover and to do that regularly, will teach you His character. You'll, You'll see His character in how He treats situations, and you'll see the character traits that He requires of His children. This little psalm that was in the possible places to read yesterday in preparation describes the character of God's children. In the first verse, the question is asked twice, who gets to be in the presence of God and be in heaven? And the last verse, it tells you that if you do these things, you'll never fall. Just like Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1, when telling us how to make our calling and election sure. As I read this to you, it's verses 2 through the middle of 5 that list about 12 character traits of the righteous And I want us to be thinking about how important that is. We are celebrating graduations and graduates. Most of the academic training that you receive is worthless. Rather than worry about your GPA or try to figure out your IQ, I would like to remind you again that CQ and WQ is far more important your character quotient and your wisdom quotient as opposed to your intelligence quotient. IQ is generally a negative for wisdom quotient or character quotient. Intelligence does not help a person be righteous. Intelligence causes a person to trust in their own thinking. And you know what the Lord says about all the thoughts of man? They are vain. But His thoughts are true. And here we have some character. And I wish that all the graduates and all the students and all the parents would remember that the most important thing we need to teach our children is character so that they will think and speak and do what is pleasing in the sight of God and in the sight of good men rather than just rest on academic accomplishments. Psalm 15, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. This is the character of the righteous. This is our goal. God has saved us. We do not rest on that salvation except in the sense that we rest from any works to be saved. Since the Lord has saved us, we rest from our works because He has saved us by His works. But we don't rest in this sense that we want to acquire this godly character. 
Look at John chapter 7 and verse 24. John chapter 7. There's a political spin put on so many things today that confuse even the children of God as to know what right thinking is and right speech and right acting. And we want the Bible to teach us, not politicians, not educators, not entertainers, but the Word of God to teach us how we ought to think and view life. This is what Jesus would say in John chapter 7 after He was criticized for healing on the Sabbath day. John chapter 7 and verse 24. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Most people judge by appearance. Well, that just doesn't look right. We don't care what you're seeing or what you're thinking. And you shouldn't care what other people are seeing or thinking. You should care about what does the Word of God say. There was a commandment that said, Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath day. Six days shalt thou labor, but the seventh day was set aside to be a holy day of rest. The Pharisees, though seminary trained, the Sadducees, though seminary trained, the scribes, though spending 60 hours a week in the Bible, the lawyers, though having a profession of interpreting the Scriptures, would look at Jesus Christ and accuse Him of wrongdoing because He healed on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus reasons with them of how foolish they were in their sense of judgment. He said in verse 23, If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? He is saying, you idiots, learn how to think righteously. So that's why we have the 24th verse, judge not by the appearance. There was a commandment, thou shalt not work. But they would circumcise a man on the Sabbath day, though breaking this commandment, they would do it to keep this commandment to circumcise a man. And Jesus saying, Jesus is saying, if you would do injury to a man on the Sabbath day to keep the commandment of Moses, why are you upset at me for healing a man and making him every whit whole? I speak to those that have a righteous heart. If you have a righteous heart and you have any ambition to be great in your life, as I preached last Lord's Day, you want to be great in the character and wisdom of the Bible. This is Jesus saying they did not understand, they were confused, they were wrong, and they had turned His Bible upside down. They would cut a man on the Sabbath, but they wouldn't allow Him to make a man whole on the Sabbath. We want to learn how to think. The world only looks at what they can see. They don't know how to think. There are people that read the Bible and it says, Thou shalt not kill. So they don't believe in capital punishment. That is an idiotic approach to the Bible. That is a general rule against murder. It has nothing in it about civil government putting murderers to death. The rules for putting murderers to death are found in specific verses of Scripture that overrule that general commandment, Thou shalt not kill, which God gave simply to keep us from murdering each other and taking life without just cause. But there's whole denominations that are against capital punishment because of misunderstanding and refusing to submit to the Word of God. Jesus and the Apostle Paul upheld capital punishment in the New Testament. It's never changed. It's just wisdom. And so I look at this verse, and I love this verse, and I want you to remember this verse. Judge not according to the appearance. Don't make your decisions 
on what meets your eye, think more deeply than that. Don't be so superficial, such a lightweight mentally, and such a lightweight morally, that you make your decisions based on appearance. Well, I just don't think that that's right. I just don't see why somebody would do that. We don't care what you think or what you see. And you shouldn't care about it. We must go back to this verse and judge righteous judgment. Lord, teach us these things. Wisdom is the right application of principles from God's Word. Wisdom is not a thousand rules. If you had a thousand rules in a little handbook that you could flip to for every event you meet in life, it wouldn't be wisdom. It would be reading and rote. Wisdom is the ability to take principles and apply them. And we want to learn wisdom. It's why we have the Proverbs commentaries. It's why God gave the book of Proverbs, and it's why we emphasize the book of Proverbs. We want to teach wisdom. Character quotient or wisdom quotient? Or intelligence quotient? You can acquire character quotient and wisdom quotient. You can't alter your intelligence quotient. Let's learn character and wisdom, and let's apply it. That Psalm 15 that we read a few minutes ago, I had a blessed privilege yesterday morning to sit with the four parents that my wife and I have. Her two parents, my two parents, and I wanted to commit to them, as two of them were leaving Greenville, that my ambition for my children and my children's children is Psalm 15. And it's the character to think right, and to do right, and to speak right, like John 7.24 And every one of my children that are sitting here, those little children that you have sitting next to you, by use of a rod and reproof, you should be teaching them some character. They'll tear your lives to shreds if you don't, but that doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is that they please God and other men by having righteous character and knowing how to think, speak, and act. Forget about rights. The whole world wants to talk about rights. We have the most selfish, rebellious nation on earth. There is no one like an American in any other nation. We are rebellious by nature because of our Declaration of Independence that talks about inalienable rights. There are no inalienable rights. We have responsibilities. I love America. I'm thankful to be born in America. I don't love her immorality. I don't love her God-hating attitude and her Bible-rejecting attitude. But I want us to realize that responsibilities are more important. Forget about your rights. Why don't you emphasize your responsibilities? Prioritize your thinking scripturally. Forget what you want. Start focusing on what others want. Christianity is giving, not getting. There's two commandments that summarize the entire Bible, and neither of the two commandments has any rights or things for you. It's the love of God and the love of neighbor. There's three persons in the world, and God's ranked ranked them for you. You're third. He's first, others are second, and you're third. It's that simple. Quit thinking about rights. Think about responsibilities on what you owe the two above you, the Lord and your neighbor. There's a reason why we ask a question when you join this church, and that is, do you understand that when you come into this assembly, you are coming to love and serve Not to be loved and served. And yet there is a childish, selfish, wicked, devilish attitude of wanting to be loved and served 
when the whole purpose, lesson, doctrine, and instruction of Christianity is to love and serve, not to be loved and served. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Get outside yourself. Your little tiny life is so miserable. Get outside and love others. It'll make you happier. You'll please God. You'll help others. The world will improve. Let's think about our responsibilities rather than our rights. I'm reviewing briefly before I go into some new material. I hope you'll remember the things that I taught. Friendship from another person is a privilege. It's not a right. You don't have the right for anybody to consider you a friend. If anybody considers you a friend, it's a privilege. It's way too cold in here. Anybody agree with me? Nobody raise their hand, okay? Turn it down two more degrees. Thank you, Grandma. It's too cold. I just need some agreement when I say that. I'm trying to help you. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 7. I love this verse. This is, this is part of thinking right. This is part of having the right view of life. Who maketh thee to differ from another? God does. Our children know it. And we want to teach our children that all the time. Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? You know, Americans talk about, well, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. If you have a boot, God gave it to you. If the boot has a strap, God gave it to you. If you've got an arm to find the strap that is on the boot that God gave you, and that arm has a bicep on it, God gave it to you. If you had the desire and even the thought of pulling up your bootstrap that had your boot, that had your foot in it, it's all from God. Give Him the glory and shut up. And I say that... In Christian love. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive that wasn't given to you as a gift? That's the sense of that second question. Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Everything we have is from the Lord. Instead of thinking about all that we've done, we should be thinking about what the Lord's done and what the Lord's given us. We should give Him thanks and use it as he has dictated that we should. Remember the verse in Isaiah chapter 45, that if we want to argue, we don't argue with the potter. The only one that God will let us argue with about such things is another broken piece of pottery. The Lord says, don't argue with me. I'm the potter and you're the clay. If you want to argue with someone, then argue with another potsherd. A potsherd is a broken piece of pottery. I love a God that speaks that way to me. I respect him. He deserves all my fear. He deserves my love. He deserves my service. And like we sang this morning, our Father all glorious or all victorious. That's the God of the Bible. That God needs to be preached to put people in their proper place that will humble ourselves before Him and bless and praise His holy name. He's the potter and we're the clay. He's made us for Himself. He didn't make you for you. He didn't create this world for you to have a good time. He created you for Him to have a good time. He created you for His pleasure. That's what the Bible says. Right. Revelation 4.11, the Lord hath made all things... That's Proverbs 16.4. Revelation 4.11 is more like this. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. This is a worldview and a life view that helps teach you character and wisdom. 
It's, it flows out of these basic fundamental principles. The greater you make God, the wiser you're going to be. The lower you get down, the wiser you'll be. The more that you realize what you have and are is from God, the wiser you'll be in how you treat those things. You know who has all the rights, don't you? It's our Creator. It's our God. After Jesus Christ gave the lesson of a man who went out into the marketplace at 6 a.m. in the morning and agreed with some workers for 12 hours of labor for a penny, then he went out at 9, then he went out at noon, then he went out at 5 and agreed with some men for one hour for a penny, they came back and said, hey, We've labored all day long in the heat, 12 hours, and you're only giving us the same amount that you're giving these that work but one hour? Is it not my right to do what I will with mine own? We're creatures. He's the Creator. He is blessed forever, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. It'll change your life if you'll keep that worldview Constantly before your eyes. Food isn't a right. We live in a sick world. Food isn't a right. Food and eating is a privilege if you earn it. Do you remember? Does the Bible teach that? Food is not a right. Food is a blessing and a privilege if you earn it. What does Proverbs say? A man who's lazy in the day of harvest. When there's silos being filled with food, how much should he get if he's been lazy? Nothing. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul said, We commanded you when we were among you that if a man would not work, neither should he eat. This is the Word of God. That helps a lot. You can read half the newspaper right now with two verses and see right through the folly of our welfare state that we're creating in this country. Eating isn't a right. It is a privilege if you earn it. Food is a blessing from God and it's acquired by hard work. And if you don't want to help by working, you don't deserve to eat. Medical care is not a right. It's a privilege. It's a privilege for those that can afford it. It is not a right. Well, if I don't get medical care, I could die ten years early. So? That's the Creator's choice. If you've got something wrong with you and you can't afford the help, that's no one else's fault. It's your fault for not working hard to have more money to buy the privilege of having medical help. Grow up. You say, but what about the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan wasn't about the wounded Jews' rights. The Good Samaritan story is about the Samaritan's responsibilities. So when God puts someone in your way that can't afford medical care because he's lying in a ditch, all wounded and bruised, it's your responsibility to stop and help him. But that, that parable wasn't for the race of the man in the ditch. It was for the responsibilities of the Levite, the priest, and then the Samaritan that passed by. Right. Remember, the Levite and the priest went by on the other side of the road. Right to medical. You know why I'm saying some of these things. Our newspapers are filled and our politicians have their mouths filled with so many things and we want to measure everything by the Word of God. Amen. Now, if they pass legislation, we have to submit to it but they're going to pass legislation, they've passed it for 6,000 years, that doesn't match up with God's Word. And we still submit to it until they require of us something that is contrary to God's Word. You do not have the right to say what you think. I don't care what the Bill of Rights says. Freedom of speech does not give you the right to say what anything you wish. 
it didn't give Moses the right, did it? When Israel provoked him that we read about from Psalm 106 today. You don't have the right. You have the responsibility. You don't have the right to backbite anyone. You don't have a right to bring up a reproach against a neighbor. You don't have a right to tell secrets. That's called whispering and tailbearing. You don't have the right to slander anybody. You don't have the right to bite them in the back. You have the responsibility to do some more back kissing, as we've talked about before. Free speech? No. The Bible says our lips are our own. That's the voice of a wicked man. Psalm 12 and verse 4. Your lips are not your own. Your lips are the Lord's. And you're you're going to give an account for every idle word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. That's how sober the Word of God is. You have a right to your own thoughts? Oh, no, you don't. You are responsible for godly and good thoughts at all times. God knows your thoughts, and He's going to judge you for every one of them. He says in Proverbs 24 and verse 9 that the thought of foolishness is sin. If you even think about something foolish or wrong, even the thought of it, your fantasies, your bitterness, your animosity toward others, even the thought of foolishness is sin to God. And He knows all the thoughts and intents of your heart. You won't get away with a single one of them. Don't talk about the rights that you have. Well, I have the right to... No, you don't. You have a responsibility to think the way God wants you to think. Well, a wife is a right. Oh, no, a wife is not a right. A wife is a privilege by a father and a daughter for him to waste his daughter's life and her to waste her own life being married to you. I say that to get your attention. A wife is not a right. To have a wife is a privilege. And that privilege brings responsibilities. You know, the young couple, every single one I've ever met, they think that marriage is dating with sex. And you sit there and you try to give them premarital, premarital advice. And you know that you're, you're spitting in the wind. It's coming back in your face. Marriage is a privilege to have another man's daughter and to have her. And that privilege brings responsibilities. And that's how every young man ought to go into marriage. Well, I love the rights the Bible gives me. When I read the Bible about how I'm supposed to treat my wife, I see responsibilities a whole lot more than I see rights. Because that's what the Bible teaches. It's a privilege to marry her. And then come your responsibilities. Truth isn't a right. Truth is a privilege. Many, when they would hear us, the way we speak about truth, would say, that's not right. Every man has a right to the truth. Oh, no, they do not. We chose a lie in the Garden of Eden. Our first parents, thinking about their entire family tree, because God said whatever choice you make is going to affect every descendant you ever have, they made a choice to believe a lie of the devil over the truth of God. And if the truth be told, we've made that choice many times since then ourselves. Truth is not a right. God kept the truth from most men in the history of the world. In Psalm 147, you know the last two verses I delight in. Psalm 147, only Israel was given the law of God. The word of God that came down from Mount Sinai in the hands of Moses and the five books of Moses that Moses wrote for the children of Israel was for the children of Israel. No other nation had them. No other nation knew about them. No other nation knew them. It says that in Psalm 147, verses 19 through 20. I want us to remember that truth is a privilege. And because truth is a privilege, we should therefore be thankful for it. If you start thinking of it as a right, we lose our thankfulness for it. 
You don't have rights. You have responsibilities. Do you know what God's responsibility is towards you and me? To send us to hell. Do you know what salvation is? It's a privilege. And because it's a privilege, we owe Him. We are bound to give thanks. Entitlement programs of our government have spawned a lazy and a selfish generation that expects something for nothing, most or all of the time, without regard to its cost or consequences. Well, just have the government provide it. The government can't provide. Government can't produce. Government has never produced. Government can only spend and cost. It can't produce and help. It can only divert and consume on the way of diversion. And so we've always got to be realizing, what is my role that God's given me? How hard does He want me to work? How diligent does He want me to be? Because we have a nation that foments and promotes sponging off of others. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And when you take one, you're stealing from someone else. Because they're the ones that earned the lunch. And there's an additional cost of having the person that earned the lunch lose his lunch and it be transferred all the way to you so there's costs that is lost in the meantime. And I'm not preaching about government or political philosophy right now. I just want us to teach to view everything the way the Lord wants us to. If you didn't work in the Bible, you didn't eat. Capitalism is a wonderful thing, but the Bible even puts limits on capitalism. Capitalism says, charge as much as the market will bear. What does the Bible say? If you've got a corner on the corn market, what should you do with your corner? Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 26. I want to remind you of these things. We're thankful for capitalism. We're thankful for the prosperity that it's given America. It's the same system that worked in Israel. But we want to remember some of the limitations that the Bible puts on it. Proverbs 11:26. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. If you're the biggest corn farmer in a state or a province or a county, and you withhold your corn to run the prices up so that you can get more, and there's poor people that don't have something to eat, here's a limitation on capitalism. You better, you better open that silo and sell your corn. This is, this is just the Bible. It addresses all parts of our life. I love capitalism. If you work, you get ahead. If you work hard, you get farther ahead. If you don't want to work, you starve. That's the way it ought to be. You shouldn't take those from those that work and give it to those that don't work. That creates a worthless society. It takes away all the incentive for anyone to work. Same way it is in the Bible. We're not libertarians either. Libertarians make sense in some respects more than most political parties in our country, but we are not libertarians. Life is more about duty than it is liberty. Libertarians are obsessed with finding more liberty. We want to find the duties that God's given us in our society. They call, they talk about victimless crimes, but there is no such thing as a victimless crime. First of all, if God has said something is wrong, like prostitution, which libertarians think is a victimless crime, God's the victim. Because God said, I hate this, and I abominate this, and we allow it because we're libertarians. But there's a whole lot of other people hurt when men go to prostitutes as well, it's just that they don't meet the eye at first glance of a weak-minded libertarian. That's why the Bible says, judge not by appearance, but judge righteous judgment. There's a wife and children in a society that are hurt by men going to prostitutes 
whether you look at the fact that the prostitute's agreeing to what she is doing and the, the idiot is agreeing to what he's doing with the prostitute, well, that makes it a victimless crime. It's, it's mutually consenting adults. But there's a God in heaven that didn't give his consent. Right. And there's a wife and children and parents and mother and aunts and grandparents that didn't give their consent. Libertarian, God imposes responsibilities, whether others do or not, and his rights trump all. Amen. Praise his glorious name. I was asked this question. What should a Christian do with the popular tea parties that are taking place across the nation? Remember, first, that a privilege granted by a nation does not give the right in the sight of God to do such a thing. Just because a nation gives the privilege of something doesn't mean it's our right to do it. The responsibility to obey God is greater than any privilege our nation can grant us. Because a nation or a state grants the right to divorce or bankruptcy does not reduce or relieve a Christian's responsibility to avoid both until biblical grounds are in place, if such even exist. Just because our nation allows divorce for any cause, that doesn't mean a thing to a Christian. Because the Bible tells us God's opinion about marriage and divorce and remarriage. And we follow God's word regardless of what the nation allows. The nation may allow free speech, but we know that the Bible governs our speech. We're told in Ecclesiastes 10.20 that we shouldn't curse the king not even in our thoughts, and not in our bedroom. Ecclesiastes 10.20. The nation says, free speech. The nation allows cartoon caricatures of our government officials every day of the year. But God doesn't allow that. And if you copy them, and spread them, and if you look at them and laugh at them, God forgive me, I am guilty of a crime against the God of heaven who appointed those rulers. And no matter what you think of our present rulers, they're still better than this nation deserves. If the tea parties are viewed as they properly are, seditious, clamoring, swelling, and tumult. Now, you probably don't even know any of those three words. Seditious, clamoring. What's a clamor? It's a public outcry against authority. What's swelling? It's a multitude getting together against authority. These, these are words from the Bible. But remember forgotten sins? They're words that aren't preached anymore and we forget what they even mean. How can we have Christian character or Christian wisdom when we don't even know what the words of the Bible mean? Or a tumult. A tumult is when there's a public assembly that is against the authority of that nation or that organization or that body. If we see tea parties as seditious, clamoring, swelling, and tumult, the question for Christians becomes very simple to answer because the Bible is very plain about such things. It doesn't matter if they give us the privilege. This nation gives the privilege for a whole lot of things. You want to abort your baby? Go abort it. That privilege doesn't alter the life of a Christian. We're still held accountable to the Bible. How can a Christian pray for quiet and peaceable lives let me, let me say it again in case you missed it. I noticed that most women miss the wording of meek and quiet spirit. I mean, it's not like those words need a whole lot of interpretation. Right. 
So maybe, I want to repeat it again so that you make sure you get it. If we're going to pray, like the Bible tells us to pray for our rulers, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives, then what are we doing creating swelling tumults and seditious assemblies with loud outcries, posters, and hollering against government? You can't do both. You're never going to accomplish a thing anyway. There's so many. Who cares? You're never going to accomplish anything, but God tells us not to do it. God tells us not to speak against the king even in our hearts. We're to keep the oath of God and submit to the king. We don't let our spirit rise up against our ruler. Yielding pacifieth great offenses. Whose offense? Our offense. Even if we do something wrong, we're told how to practice in the Bible. Here's what I've learned to help people about authority. When you're looking at civil government, we have an idea that virtue in America is overthrowing civil government. That's a virtue in America. You know, our founding fathers, bless their hearts, threw off the yoke of England and we learned to worship them for their act of rebellion. Whether we would be Tories or whether we would be Americans during the revolution is beyond this. That is too big of a subject, and we don't live back then to fully appreciate the effect of the English government on our lives because it varied from whatever state you lived in. In most cases of authority, we like to put civil government over here by itself. And because we put it over here by itself, we start to view things outside of the constraints of Scripture. I want to remind you that whenever you're thinking about civil government, take whatever you are asking and apply it to your authority as a master, your authority as a father, your authority as a husband, and see how well it, it, it holds up in answering the question that you've asked about civil authority. So the question is asked, is it okay for a Christian to participate in a tea party where we rail against our present government and its practices? I ask you this. Do you want your employees to have a tea party where they rail against you and your practices if you're a master? Do you want your children to have a tea party where they rail against you as a parent? Do you want your wife to get together with other ladies at tea and speak against you? They're having a tea party. Can't stand my husband. I'm so sick and tired of my husband. I want a new one. That's what anybody at a tea party is saying. We hate our present leaders and we want new ones. Well, do you want your wife doing that at a tea party? I have found that very useful. Because all the God makes no difference in the five authority spheres in the Bible. He treats them and looks at them all alike. And the verses are all worded similarly. Wives are to submit to husbands. Children are to obey parents. Employees are to obey masters, and citizens are to obey nations. And we don't rail against them. We recognize that they are from God. You see, but they're making mistakes. (laughs) Not as many as you make as a master, father, and husband. Do you still want your wife to submit to you and your children to obey, even though you make mistakes from time to time? Absolutely you do. There is only imperfect authority in this world, and that's all there ever shall be. The only perfect authority we know is God's authority over the universe. That's right. 
And because it's imperfect authority, you learn to accept that. Could you handle a gracious, respectful petition from your wife or children for mercy? Yes, you could. That's totally different from a tea party. If you're really concerned about our government, then write a respectful, gracious appeal to your congressman of whatever sort. Write it to our government and ask for a redress of the problems that you feel are so seriously wrong. Our nation is still better off than it deserves. The moral bankruptcy and rebellion of this nation deserves far greater consequences than we have seen yet, though we should see them soon. Nehemiah, Esther, and Paul exercised their legal rights for protection under the law. They exercised legal provisions of the Roman government, the Persian government, under the law, but they did so only in extreme cases and with strict appeals to that law. I hope that's a little bit helpful. I have learned that as Americans, we like to put civil authority over here and that we can make fun of the president, we can make fun of governors, we can ridicule, we can do caricatures of them, but we, we don't like that being done to us. There's no difference except this. Their authority over you is far greater than your authority over your wife and children. Therefore, they owe, they own a greater responsibility from you to give them honor and reverence than you will ever have yourself. Because the closest authority to God on earth is our civil government. They're called gods with a little g in the Bible. Because they're the closest representation of God on earth. If something is a right or something is a responsibility, we should be doing it as faithfully and as well as we can. Look at Deuteronomy 22.8. I'll close here in just a minute. We want our children to learn how to think. We want to think ourselves in a way that pleases the Lord. Owning a house is a privilege. It's not a right. You know, our nation has tried to make home ownership a right. Therefore, we're paying off half the homeowners in the country because they didn't have the right, the real right, to have a house. Owning a house is a privilege, and it's only for a privilege for those who have saved some money to be able to afford one. Owning a house is a privilege, it's not a right, and you may have the right to rent it to whom you will, but you have the responsibility to entertain strangers. Where did that come from? Hebrews 13.2. It's a privilege, it's a privilege to own a home. You may be able to rent it to whomsoever you will, but God requires you to use it to entertain strangers. Hebrews 13.2 It's a privilege to build a house. You have a right to put a roof over it, to keep the rain out, but you have a responsibility to enclose the roof. Deuteronomy 22.8 This is why we read the whole Bible. When thou buildest a new house, then shalt thou make a battlement for thy roof, that thou bring not blood upon thine house, if any man fall from thence. It's a privilege to have a house. You have the right to put a roof on your house so that the rain can't get in. But in the Old Testament, the houses and the roof, people would go up on the roof. And if you didn't put a battlement or a fence or a railing around that roof and someone fell off, you'd be responsible because you didn't take proper care. I want you... 
the reason I went through this is not because I feel you need teaching from Deuteronomy 22.8. It's for you to think, okay, building a house is a privilege. Putting a roof on a house is, is a right. I don't have to just settle for four walls with no roof. But when I put a roof on it, I better make sure that it's not hazardous to anyone's safety. Because the Bible starts to weigh on me when I reach that point in my construction. I better make sure that it's safe for anybody that would be around it or there's going to be blood guiltiness on my house, which is blood guiltiness on me because I wasn't responsible enough to deal with it carefully. And you know, when I get on a point like this, I want to talk about our automobiles and our young people driving. Be thankful that President Barack Obama is your president. Because if I was your president, you would have to be 30 before you drove. Nobody under 30 would drive a car. You say you're crazy. It's okay. It's not the first time I've been called that. All I want you to do is think about our government's pretty lax. You know, they let all these kids out there with deadly weapons, and they kill so many people every year. Insurance companies don't want to insure them, but they have to. Just think. Be constantly thinking about all the privileges that you have and use those privileges wisely. If God would hold a man responsible for blood, if a man fell off his roof, what is he going to hold you for or your children for if they kill somebody in an automobile? There are sections of the Bible that speak about oxen that were wont to gore. If an ox was dangerous and it was known that he was dangerous and his owner didn't take take care of that and keep him from the public, not only was the ox killed if it hurt somebody, but the owner was killed. This is in the Bible. All of this is to teach us to be careful and responsible and accountable for what we do. Remember, Vashti was queen. She had rights and responsibilities. She was responsible to Ahasuerus. And she wasn't obedient to him, to his momentary shame and to her perpetual reproach because the book of Esther teaches us that by her rebellion, she put in the hearts and minds of the most distant shepherd's wife the thought of rebellion against her husband. And the book of Esther in the first two chapters teach that if we do not punish Vashti severely, there is going to be a license given to wives throughout the kingdom of Persia and they will take liberties against their husband. You would never get that by your first glance. First glance is Vashti didn't feel like coming in to honor her husband at a big party. But judging righteous judgment, you look beyond that and see the little... Shepherd, way out there on the steps of Afghanistan in the Persian Empire, he's now got a rebellious wife on his hand because the first lady was rebellious. This is the word of the Lord. To think about our rights and our responsibilities, our privileges that God grants us for which we should be very thankful, and the privileges we have in our nation, but do the privileges counter, do they go against the responsibilities God's given us as Christians? Much more could be said, and it's going to have to be said at another time. What, do you sh- what should you leave with this second service? Don't judge anything by the appearance. Don't judge anything by feelings. Don't judge anything by what other people are saying about it. Well, I just think that is such a good thing. Who cares what they think? What does God's Word say about it? Does God's Word say it's a good thing? Is it a right thing? Is it a holy thing, a noble thing, a just thing? Remember Abraham. I know him that he will command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. And what was the way of the Lord? To do justice and judgment. 
And then we looked at Proverbs 21.3, to do justice and judgment is better than sacrifice. God wants character. Psalm 15, which I read to you, about 12 descriptive phrases of character. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. O Lord, God our Father in heaven, we want to be known for these things. We want them to be from our hearts and throughout our lives that our children can see and the world around us can see that we have the character of the sons of God. Let us be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. We thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for the wisdom in it. We are told that if we will pay attention to these things, we can learn wisdom. O Lord, teach us wisdom and godly character, justice and judgment, that we may keep the way of the Lord in our marriages, our hearts, our mouths, our children, our families, our church, that we might be pleasing to Thee in all things. Forgive us where we have acted, spoken, or thought foolishly at any time. Teach us these things so thoroughly that they become part of our nature as we are transformed into the image of your own Son. Hear us as we call upon thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.